Welcome to the Gary Smith Show. For the next hour, Gary will be taking your calls and answering your emails as he discusses personal development as it relates to your business, your career, and your personal life. Gary is a successful businessman and entrepreneur and is the founder and president of Optimum Performance Technologies, LLC. Gary is a business consultant, business and personal coach, and a professional speaker and writer who has dedicated his life to helping businesses and individuals develop and implement plans to take their companies and their lives to new levels of performance and success. Gary is the author of two outstanding books, The Shepherd and the Princess, Seven Keys to Conquering the Goliaths in Your Life, and Achieving Unusual Greatness, Timeless Lessons from the Trail Already Blazed. If you have a question or comment for Gary, please call in at 860-432-9735 or email him at questions at optex.com. You can also learn more about Gary by visiting his website, optex.com. And now, here's Gary Smith. Good morning. Good morning. Good morning. Happy Saturday. Uh, Welcome to the Gary Smith Show here on WSDK 1550 AM. Great to have you along for the ride on this uh, chilly Saturday morning. I found out just how chilly it was uh, when I arrived here this morning. Uh, they're actually doing a 5K race here uh, on Chapel Road in uh, in Manchester. And they uh, they took over the parking lot here at the studio for the event. So uh, Zach, my producer, and I had to park across the, across the street and down a little bit and uh, walk up here uh, this morning. So uh, we got, uh, got to feel the chilly air and... Uh, and hopefully wake up a little bit this morning. But uh, we're great to have, it's great to have you along for the ride. Today we're going to be talking about uh, well, customer service. And uh, it's actually the, the customer service we're going to be talking about springs from a new book that I just released called The Customer Conundrum. Uh, and the subtitle of it is Nine Crucial Steps for Winning Customers and Outsmarting Your Competition. And uh, it's interesting uh, how things come around because I had not really thought about uh, writing another book. But back at the end of May, uh, I happened to uh, uh, online uh, on LinkedIn. Uh, I, I'm part of a business group there, and uh, and there was a woman named Colleen Ferrari who uh, is the founder of a company called Small Business Connecticut. And for those of you who are regular listeners to the show, uh, Colleen has been uh, has been on the show here with me before. Uh, but at any rate, Colleen and I connected, and uh, and she was planning a a seminar actually for. Uh, for October, and uh, we met and discussed that, and she asked me uh, to speak at the seminar, and I said, well, gee, what is it that you want me to speak about? And she said, customer service, and I said, okay, great. Uh, And then on the way home from that meeting, I was thinking about it, and I thought, well, gee, you know, there's not a lot of books out there uh, on customer service from kind of the business owner's perspective. There's a lot of customer service things out there from the standpoint of uh, what customer service departments need to do, uh, how salespeople, you know, it's kind of specific things, but there's nothing out there really that generally talks about what customer service needs to be kind of from a business owner's perspective. And so I contacted Colleen and and, uh, told her that I was thinking about maybe writing a book on that subject, and so we've cooperated together on that to uh, to to make that happen, and that's what we're going to be uh, we're we're going to be talking about today. And so I kind of want to start off talking about what is the customer conundrum. Um, that's you know that's something that kind of gets everybody. But I want you to stop and think for uh, for a minute. Uh, what kinds of bad customer service experiences have you had recently? 
Uh, and, and I'm not talking about stuff that's, uh, you know, that's major things. A lot of them are, are minor things. Like when you, uh, when you stop by the bank to make a deposit and you find out that the teller you're dealing with kind of woke up on the wrong side of the bed and he or she is just kind of grumpy and not really very friendly and they might even not handle the, the transaction correctly. Um, or it could be uh, here's one of my favorites. Somebody goes into the coffee shop in the morning to uh, to get their morning coffee on the way to work. And when they order their coffee, they order it, uh, you know, they well, first of all, they come up to the counter and the person behind the counter really isn't even paying any attention to them. Uh, and just kind of looking down at the screen, it's like, yeah, what can I do for you? And it's like, well, you know, I'd like, uh, you know, I'd like a, a large coffee with cream, please. And the person punches a few buttons on the screen and says, would you like cream and sugar with that? And it's like, no, I'd like cream. And then the individual you know, pays for the coffee, gets down to the end of the line, grabs a cup of coffee. And as she's walking out of the store, takes a sip and finds out that it has both cream and sugar in it. And, and a lot of people say, well, yeah, that's not a big deal. I mean, that sort of stuff happens all the time. But from my perspective, a lot of times I look at things and say, why does that have to happen at all? And, and there are other more serious things that we run into with, with customer service. I mean, one of, the, one of my favorite examples is, and it's because I've spent so much time doing it over the years, is um, you get into work uh, on, a, on a Wednesday morning and you're putting the final touches or you want to put the final touches on a presentation that you have to give that afternoon and you punch the button on your computer to start it up and nothing happens. And since the computer's still under warranty, you get on the phone and you call technical service at the, uh, at the mega computer company where you bought your computer. And after spending 45 minutes uh, on hold, uh, listening to a combination of elevator music and commercials about how great this company's computer products are when your particular product is not working right now, you're finally connected to uh, an individual in a foreign country who... Uh, barely speaks English sometimes, uh, or if they do speak English, their English is so heavily accented that you can barely understand what they're saying. And I don't know about you, but I tend to be a little bit of a, tech, a techie when it comes to computers. I can solve most of the problems with my computers, um, but you find out pretty rapidly when you get into it that this person is kind of playing off a script and that they're really not um, not well-versed in what they're doing. All they can do is kind of start at square one and walk you through everything. And so it becomes a, you know, a frustrating experience. And the next time when you go to buy a computer from that company, is that something that you really want to do? When you look at the kind of the lack of customer service, and I mean, I get the companies are trying to control costs and things like that, but I think that sometimes business owners are very, very short-sighted in the way they do things. And in comparison to, you know, to some of the computer companies that are out there, one of the best examples that I have of positive uh, customer service is Apple Computer. When you, when you call Apple, um, they screen the calls to make sure that they know what product you're calling about and what your specific issue is. And when they connect you to someone, you get connected to someone who speaks your language and who is a legitimate expert in the problem that you're experiencing because their goal is to make sure that their customers are taken care of, that the problems are solved, and, and that they, they get you off the phone and back to what you were doing just as quickly as they possibly can. That's the whole, that's the whole goal. Um, and so the customer conundrum kind of comes in here. Um, wherever I go, I get a chance to talk to a lot of different people who are business owners. 
And when I'm communicating with them, one of the things I always ask them is, would you agree that the customer is one of the most important aspects of your business? And every business owner will say, yes. I mean, I've never had a business owner or a group of business people where I've asked for a show of hands. Never once have I ever had anyone say, no, the customer is not important to me. And yet, in the informal surveys that I've done in some of the groups that I've spoken to, I've asked the same group of people, okay, so you believe that the customer is really, really important, but how many of you can relate to me an experience that you've had within the the last 6 to 12 months where you've had bad customer service. And so the customer conundrum becomes if all of the business owners in this country agree that the customer is important, why is there still so much bad customer service going on out there? And why in the kind of the informal surveys that I've taken, does it seem like that problem is getting worse and not better? And, and I think I know the, the answer to that question. And, and I think it's this. Business owners understand in their heads. We all have an intellectual understanding of the importance of the customer because everybody can, you know, despite the, the common core thing that's going on uh, with mathematics in our school today, most people can add one and one and get two. And I think what happens is, is that we realize the importance of the customer from an intellectual perspective because we realize that without a customer, we don't generate any revenue. And without a revenue stream coming into our businesses, we don't have a business. And so we intellectually understand it. But one of the things that we have missed is that we haven't translated that intellectual understanding into kind of a heart-level understanding and then allowed that to permeate our organizations so that our employees serve our customers the way we need them to in order for those customers to feel valued and appreciated and want to come back and and do business with us. The other thing that I... um, that I ask people when we're talking about customer service is I ask them, do you have loyal customers? And everybody says, oh, yeah. Well, And I ask them, well, how do you know? How do you know that you have loyal customers? And are all of your customers loyal? And I get some puzzled looks, but I want to tell you a quick story. Uh, Jane Handley is a woman who's been involved in customer service for, oh, gosh, the past 25 years. And Jane tells the following story. Uh, One morning she got up and she was in her dressing room getting ready to go to work. And she happened to look at herself in the mirror. And Jane says, I'm a blonde by choice. And she said, as a result of that, every couple of months I need to go to the hairdresser to, uh, to have my hair colored so that I don't have the dark roots showing. So she said, I looked in the mirror, realized that it was time for me to make an appointment. So she said, there's a woman I've been uh, doing business with for the past 15 years She does a great job. I really like her. She's a wonderful person. And she charges me $60 to color my hair, which I think is a reasonable price. So she said, I picked up the phone and called the woman to make an appointment to get my hair done, only to find out that she was on vacation and that she would not be back for the next three weeks. So she said, after I hung up the phone, I went back into the dressing room, looked at myself a little more closely in the mirror and realized that I couldn't afford to wait for, uh, for three weeks to get my hair done. So what did she do? She uh, looked in the yellow pages, picked up the phone, and called another hair salon, place that she'd never visited, called another hair salon close to where she lived, and made an appointment to get her hair done. 
And she said, now, um, you know, I've never been to this place. And she said, several days later, I show up to get my hair done and I walk in and she said, there's this big, uh, spacious, uh, very, very spacious salon. Uh, and it looks like it's a really, really high end place. And so she said, I walk in and the woman comes out from behind the reception desks and sticks her hand out and says, uh, hi, welcome to our salon. You must be uh, Ms. Handley. Um, here for your one o'clock appointment. If you'll come with me, I will introduce you to the chemical technician who's going to be coloring your hair. And so on the way back to meet the chemical technician, Jane says, I start thinking to myself, you know, when I called to make an appointment to get my hair done, I should have asked how much this was going to cost me. But at any rate, she meets the chemical technician who does her, uh, the coloring on her hair, and then the chemical technician introduces her to a hairstylist who proceeds to wash and style Jane's hair. And right about at the time the hairstylist is finishing up, another woman comes over, introduces herself, says that she's the cosmetologist, and says, oh my goodness, it looks like we messed up your makeup while we were coloring your hair. Let me touch that up for you. And then when the cosmetologist is done, Jane has her slip, and she's thinking to herself, you know what, if I can get out of this place without having to give them my firstborn child, I'm going to be very, very lucky. And so she starts to the front of the salon to pay her bill, and another woman comes up to her, introduces herself, says that she is the manicurist, and says, gee, Miss Handley, I'd really love to do your nails someday. Here's my business card. Feel free to give me a call. So Jane gets up to the front of the salon to pay her bill. The first question is, how much did the salon charge Jane for uh, all of this work that was done? What do you think? $100, $150, They charged her $45. Now, that's a shocker. But they charged her $45. But the, the next question is, did Jane change hairdressers? Yes, as a matter of fact, she did. And she said that she would have changed hairdressers if they had charged her $75, which was more than 20% uh, the, the amount that she was originally paying her hairdresser. But here's the, the $64,000 question. What was it that Jane's original hairdresser did wrong? Nothing. Absolutely nothing. She didn't do a thing wrong. And the point that I make uh, from this story is simply this. You don't have to do anything wrong for your to lose a customer. All that has to happen is for them to have a different experience, a new or a different experience somewhere else, and they're gone. Now let's stop and think about that. What could Jane's hairdresser, her original hairdresser, have done to help that situation? Well, first of all, what if she had looked at her calendar because she had repeat clients just like Jane? What if she had looked at her calendar uh, several weeks before she went on vacation and realized that Jane was going to need to get her hair done during the time that she was gone. And what if she had then called Jane and said, I'm going to be on vacation from this date to this date. I know you're going to want to get your hair done during that time, so why don't we make an appointment for the week before I go on vacation, and that way you'll be all set until I get back. Now, if she had done that, there would have, been, would have been two things that came out of that that would have been very positive. Number one, Jane would have felt special because someone was looking out for her. Someone was anticipating her needs. But on top of that, Jane would have gone and had the appointment, and as a result of that, she would never have had the need to have an experience anywhere else. And so that brings us to another point, and that is as business owners, 
our responsibility is to anticipate the needs of our customer. And in addition to that, it's to study our competition, to find out how our competition is doing things differently. What are they doing to attract clients? What are they doing to keep clients? And then based on our own businesses and our own set of skills, how do we go about managing things so that we can keep our customers and we find out you know, what's going on and we are effectively using the skills that we have as a way to influence our customers to stay with us and thereby beat our competition. So that's really, really important. The, the other thing that I think we need to talk about here is kind of setting the framework for what we're going to talk about. We've talked about the customer conundrum and the gap that exists between what business owners espouse and what customers are actually experiencing. We've talked about the fact that the customers are fickle and that you don't have to do anything in order to get a customer to leave you and go somewhere else. But the other thing that we need to do is that we need to look at our responsibility as business owners for making sure that all aspects of our business are customer friendly. And, and I refer to that as, as what I call the infusion pump approach. Um, a lot of times in the work that I do, I talk about the word infusion. And when you look up the word infusion in the dictionary, you'll find the, the following. It says, the addition of something such as money that is needed or helpful. Now, all of us who are business owners have probably experienced something where you get, uh, say you go to the bank and get a loan uh, to be able to buy some capital equipment from your business. All of a sudden, when the bank loan is approved and the money's transferred into your account, you get that infusion of cash into your account. Now, two of my three daughters work in the medical field, so I'm also familiar with the term infusion pump. And I looked up the definition and I found that an infusion pump is a medical device that's used to deliver fluids into a patient's body in a controlled manner. And so what I did was I kind of combined these two definitions to create my definition of the infusion pump approach. And the infusion pump approach is a, is a method by which needed or helpful ideas and methodologies are delivered and allowed to permeate an organization in a controlled manner in order to affect permanent positive change and create greater well-being, growth, and profitability in that organization. And if we, just quickly, if we take that apart, the first thing is, is that the infusion pump approach is a method. And the word method implies that there must be some kind of systematic approach to this process. There has to be a plan, a focus, and targeted action if we're going to infuse our business with customer service. And then we need to talk about by which needed or helpful ideas and methodologies are delivered. So the, the whole infusion pump approach, that method kind of provides the framework upon which we hang those things that the organization needs to employ to deliver better customer service. So I don't know if some of you uh, have probably been to an Asian restaurant, and if you've ever been to an Asian restaurant and ordered a poo-poo platter, you'll get this analogy. Because a poo-poo platter contains a variety of appetizers, it's often placed on a turntable in the center of the table so that people sitting around the table can rotate the plate and select the food they want to eat. And when we apply that to customer service, the rotating plate is the method, and the food is the menu of needed or helpful ideas that we can select and employ within our organizations. And then the words allowed to permeate. Now, this is a key facet of the infusion pump approach because just as medication from an infusion pump is consumed and transported to every part of a patient's body, the goal in providing excellent customer service is to allow an attitude of customer service 
to penetrate and flow into every nook and cranny of your business. It has to be an enterprise-wide experience where beneficial changes permeate every muscle, every fiber, and every cell of your organizational being. But it has to be done in a controlled manner. And this implies that the the process of change from a non-customer-centric business to one that is truly customer-centric doesn't happen overnight. It's not like turning on a light switch. Rather, it's a steady process of focused change over a period of months and years. Well, why? Because just like a, a cruise ship can't turn on a dime, neither can most businesses. And because it takes time for customer attitudes to change and for them to see, understand, and embrace the changes that are being made in your organization. You can't expect to get instant results because customers, if you have a business that has not been providing good customer service, customers are not going to uh, be real excited when they first see you changing things. What they were going to do is they're going to take a a wait-and-see approach. They want to know, is this going to be consistent? Is it something that's going to be lasting? Is this just a flash in the pan, or is it a real cultural change? And that brings us to the last part of that definition, and that is in order to affect permanent positive change. You know, the goal in doing these sorts of things is not to create a flash in the pan or another flavor of the month. We want permanent positive change that will forever impact the way we run our businesses. And so laying that as the foundation, you know, understanding what the customer conundrum is, understanding the fickle nature of customers, and understanding what it is that we need to do as far as an approach to generating customer-centric organizations Now we can begin to talk about, well, how do we go about making that stuff happen? And we're going to do that when we come back uh, from a real short break here. So stay tuned for more of customer service. Hey, this is Daniel Fazina, host of the Divine Intervention Show, inviting you to join me every Sunday at 4 p.m. on WSDK. Divine Intervention is the interview show that features intriguing people who've experienced the hand of God in amazing ways. The Bible contains some remarkable stories of miracles and divine interventions. Moses parted the sea. Peter healed a man lame from his mother's womb. Jesus drove demons out of people and even raised the dead. Are these types of events still happening today? Tune in to Divine Intervention to find out as we feature people who have experienced miracles, answered prayers, deliverances, healings, and more. More information about the show, free downloads, and podcasts are available at our website, divineinterventionradio.com. Divine Intervention, the interview show that features intriguing people who've experienced the hand of God in amazing ways, Sundays at 4 p.m. on WSDK. This is Life-Changing Radio's President Bill Blount with a quick reminder to join me on Twitter. Each day I look for stories that might be of interest to you. Sometimes it's news about Christianity. Other times it's stories about our culture and society. And sometimes it's just an interesting picture or video. In any case, please sign up for my Twitter at any of the following places. Directly on Twitter at BillBLCR. That's BillBLCR. Or sign up at our website at LifeChangingRadio.com or on our weekly newsletter link. So join the conversation with Life-Changing Radio on Twitter. Clouds continue to increase through the afternoon, breezy across southern Connecticut as milder air works in from the south near 40. Only in the low 30s tonight there might be a sprinkle around. Then some sun at times tomorrow, a seasonable day near 50. Quite mild on Monday, breezy with some showers around as that mild air continues to pour in from the southwest, low to mid-60s. Randy Berkson with the WSDK Weather Update. This is Todd Williams from Wilkett Community Bible Church. Keep listening to Life Changing Radio, WSDK 
1550 a.m. and online at WSDK1550.com. Welcome back to the Gary Smith Show on this chilly Saturday morning. Great to have you along with us today. If you have any questions or anything, give us a call, uh, 860-432-9735. You can text us at 860-856-7193 or email questions to questions at optex.com. We'd love to hear from you, uh, hear your observations, or hear your questions related to, uh, to customer service. Um, before the break, we were talking about the customer conundrum, the fickle nature of customers, and, and how to infuse our businesses with the right kind of approach. But now I want to start getting down to more details, some more brass tacks about what we can do and, and what facets of our businesses are important. But as we do that, uh, there are two critical questions I want to ask you folks. And if you have a piece of paper, uh, grab, a, grab a paper and a, piece, and a pencil and, and jot down your thoughts because the two questions I want to ask you are, what is a business and what are the goals of your business? What is a business and what are the goals of your business? Uh, now, most people will say that a business is you know, an organization that sells products or services at a profit. And that's a pretty good general definition, but my question is, is it enough? And I, I don't think so. So let me share quickly with you my definition of a business. A business is a repeatable, duplicatable process that does five things. There have, there's five key ingredients, I think, that it has to do or has to have in order to be successful. One is that it creates and delivers something of value. If you're not offering a product or service that provides value, in my opinion, you're finished before you start. Now, that may seem obvious, but you would be surprised at the number of people who have ideas for products and services, and they're very excited about them, yet these products or services bring no value to the marketplace. The second thing is, is that those products and services have to be something that other people want or need. In addition to delivering value, your product or service must be something that others need or want. Now, this refers, you know, this really serves to filter out some of the ideas uh, that we just talked about in the, in the category of creating and delivering value because creating value is one thing, but creating a value that does not satisfy a need or want in the marketplace is really futile. You can have the greatest idea in the world and it can meet a need in a marketplace, but if somebody's not willing to buy it, you know, if it, if it doesn't meet enough of a need or want for people, then, then you're dead before you start. The third thing is, is it has to be at a price that people are willing to pay. Every product or service has what's called a price point, and that price point is the upper limit of what people are willing to pay for that product or service. Now, if you're below that point, enough people will potentially buy your product to enable you to generate sales. If you're above that point, the number of people willing to buy the product or service declines pretty substantially. So number four is in a way that satisfies customer needs and expectations. You can create value and you can provide a product or service that people want and at a price that they're willing to pay, but are you meeting their needs and expectations? Every customer has ideas about what your product or service should do for him. Now, some of those ideas are based on your customer's specific needs, and some may be based on the product or service features that are already being provided by your competition. Customers' needs are things that have to be met. But in addition, the more of their expectations you can meet, the easier it is for you to differentiate yourself from your competition. And then lastly, 
it has to be done in a way so that the business makes enough profit to make it worthwhile for you to stay in business. You know, in in uh, the part about uh, at a price that people are willing to pay, we talked about price points. So the market has a certain price that it's willing to pay for your product or service. The question we're dealing with here is, are your costs to produce your product or service low enough to enable you to make a profit that's sufficient for you to stay in business? You know, so here we go. You know, the uh, the definition then is of, of a business really is a repeatable, duplicatable process that creates and delivers something of value that other people need or want at a price that they're willing to pay in a way that satisfies their needs and expectations and in a manner that the business makes enough profit to make it worthwhile for you to stay in business. So if you're doing all five of those things, you know, you're, you're in business. Now the question becomes is what's the goal of your business? And, and this is really, really interesting to me. And it was a, a wake-up call that I got a number of years ago because um, in his book, The Goal, uh, Ellie Goldratt says that the, the goal of every business is to make money. And then he further clarifies that by saying it's not just a matter of making money now, that you have to make money both now and in the future. And by doing that, what he's doing is he's framing things in such a way that he's saying, you know, you have to be making decisions today about today and tomorrow. Because if you're focused only on making money today, then you may be making some decisions that are going to hamper the ability of your business to grow and profit in the future. But on the other hand, if you're just looking down the road and all you're concerned about is making money tomorrow, you may not make enough money today in order to be able to get to tomorrow. So the goal of every business is to make money both today and in in the future. But the interesting thing is, and this is something that uh, I get a lot of strange looks when I talk with people about it is, is when I look at them and say, you don't make money in business by focusing on making money. And they kind of look at me like I have three heads, and I then explain to them that money is not a product. Money is a byproduct. It is a byproduct of the service that you render to your marketplace. That's it. And so our focus, you know, yes, the goal of every business is to make money because we're all common sense people and we realize that we can't survive as business people if we aren't making money. But we don't make money by focusing on making money. We make money by focusing on serving our markets the best way that we can with the highest quality products, with the highest quality service, building the kind of customer relationships that we need to have in order to be able to generate those sales. And so money becomes a byproduct of who we are as people. Do we have the right attitudes to the business that we're in? Do we really strive to produce the highest quality in everything that we do? And are we connected with our customers in the marketplace and really serving them in in every way possible? And when we do that, then we can make money. So with those things in mind, understanding what a business is and understanding the bottom line goal of what your business is and how you go about achieving that goal, let's talk about the facets of your business and the facets that we need to touch upon in order to really provide that effective level of customer service that not only delights your customers, but turns them into advocates for you. Uh, One of the things that I always say is that it's always either easier to get more business from existing customers than it is to try to go out and cultivate new customers. And the best way, two of the best ways to get more business from existing customers are one, to be able to find out what else in their businesses you can help them with and be and be giving them more 
or selling them more. But the other thing is, is to turn them into advocates for you so that they are so thrilled with what you're doing for them that they will go out and they will become a major source of referral business. So you're playing off of their credibility and their love for what for you and your company and what you do, that they will transfer that to other people and they will help you do business. The other thing that comes along with that is in the process of doing that and in the process of delighting your customers, you'll naturally find ways to be able to beat your competition and do things better, smarter, faster than they do and do it in a very legitimately, you know, very legitimate, very high integrity way. Um, so let's take a look at kind of the front end of your business, if you will. And I believe that there are three key facets that we need to talk about in the front end of your business that really drive uh, your ability to delight your customers. And those three things are quality, cost, and delivery. Those things are very, very important. So let's talk about them individually for just a few minutes. First of all, let's talk about quality. What is quality? Uh, and that's one of the things that uh, is really interesting because a lot of times when I talk to people and I ask them what is quality, they kind of sit back and think for a couple of minutes. And it's one of those things where, and I've experienced the same thing, it's one of those things where I know what it is when I see it or I experience it. But it's really hard for me to put down a definition on a piece of paper and tell you what it is. Because as an example, um, you know, if you are buying a piece of furniture and, and you see the attention to detail that's put in to the way the furniture is constructed and, and how every stitch is in place and every stitch in the fabric is exactly the same, we look at that and we say that's really, really high quality. On the other hand, if you, um, if you go out to uh, a restaurant, a lot of times we, you know, we have a variety of ways of judging quality of a restaurant. Quality could be uh, impeccable service. It could be uh, the friendly atmosphere. It could be the price that we're willing to pay. Uh, it could be the quality of food that we get. And so there are a number of approaches to, to quality. But I'm going to take a stab at it and try to uh, give you a really good, solid, uh, general definition of quality, and that is this. Quality is conformance to the requirements of your customer. Quality is conformance to the requirements of your customer, plain and simple. That's really what it comes down to. And in saying that, what it means to me is that there has to be a relationship there with your customer in order to understand what those requirements are. And that's one of the things you'll notice, when, whether you are uh, going into a furniture store to buy a piece of furniture or whether you're going to an automotive, an automobile dealership to buy a car or something like that. The truly good salespeople in those environments are people who take time to get to know their customers. So when you walk into the furniture store, it's not just a matter of, you know, of you looking and saying, oh, I like that particular sofa over there. A lot of times uh, the salespeople have a way to be able to influence you or to help you make a decision by asking you questions about, okay, well, what's the current decor of your home? Where is this particular piece of furniture going to be used? Because if it's going to be, um, you know, in a formal living room versus in uh, a great room or a family room, you know, the amount of wear the fabric is going to see, uh, the amount of abuse the furniture is going to get is going to be completely different. So asking those kinds of questions and being able to ferret out what it is that you really need 
you know, and then making suggestions based on that for what kinds of fabrics are going to wear best, what kind of uh, treatment, uh, you know, like Scotchgard and things like that, what kind of treatments can we get on the fabric so that if you spill a cup of coffee or a bottle of soda or something like that on it, it makes it easy to clean up. Those sorts of things are very, very important, but it's all about building the relationships. Uh, my friend from over in the UK, Phil Jones, who's a sales trainer, said, as a salesman, you know, my job is not to try to sell people things that they don't need. My job is a professional mind maker upper. What I'm trying to do is ask you lots of questions so that I can get to know you and find out what your needs are and then be able to guide you in the process of making the quality decision that you need to make so that ultimately when you buy something from me, you're going to get what it is that you want. You're going to take it home. You're going to employ it in whatever you're doing, and you're going to enjoy it, that you're going to get from it when you, what you need. And so quality is all about building relationships. And I know a lot of companies that are a lot of business owners who are listening to me today, maybe you own a machine shop. And uh, you say, you know, gee, that, it doesn't work that way with me. Somebody brings in uh, you know, a blueprint and say, here, make this part for me. Uh, and as long as I make it to so that it conforms to whatever the dimensions are in that blueprint, uh, my customer's happy. Yeah, that may be true, but have you taken the time to build a relationship with your customer to find out where that part's being used? And are there more effective ways to be able to do it, uh, both from the standpoint of the design of the product? Is there a more or less costly way to manufacture that product? Is there a different process that you can use to be able to do that? So building the relationship really helps clarify what those customer requirements are because ultimately quality is conformance to the requirements of your customer, but it also involves understanding what your not just what your customer wants, but what your customer really needs. Then we get into the whole aspect of, of cost, and cost becomes very, very critical, especially in the global marketplace that we live in today. Uh, back years ago, uh, the, the formula for, uh, for pricing product was much different than it is today. Uh, when I first got out of college and started working, the pricing models that we worked with were, were very basic. And basically what it said was you look at what your cost to manufacture the product is. When you look at what's called fully absorbed manufacturing costs, so that it's everything that goes into that, meaning uh, all of your overhead costs, all of your marketing costs and everything are in that product cost. Then you look at it and say, how much profit do I want to make on this? You add that profit onto your cost and that becomes the sales price for your, for your product. So as an example, if my fully absorbed manufacturing cost for a widget was $100, and I wanted to make a 30% margin on that product, 30% of 100 bucks is 30 bucks added to $100, the selling price on that product was $130. Today, that fundamental cost model has changed, and it's because of the global competition. And as I said, every product has a price point. And so let's say that the, you know, that the selling price of, of that widget that we were talking about, the, the price point for that, let's say, is $115. Then I have to look at it and say, okay, it's $115. That's what the market will bear. That's the, that's the maximum selling price I can put out there. And if I want to generate a little bit more sales, I really want to be a little bit under that maximum price point. And then I have to subtract from that whatever my manufacturing cost is to see what my profit is. And many times it's if any. 
uh, profit. And so we have to be very cognizant of that, and that means that we have to be cost-focused in our businesses. We have to know what, what the marketplace will bear, and we have to be constantly looking for better ways to do things, ways to reduce our costs, you know, and that can touch many facets of a business for how you go about buying your materials, to what kinds of materials you buy, to what processes that you use, and how much waste they produce, and, and a whole plethora of things. But the bottom line is, is that cost is very, very important because you have a ceiling. It's not just a matter of, well, whatever it costs me plus how much ever I want to make is going to, is going to be my selling price. It just doesn't work that way anymore. And then the third area is the area of delivery. Uh, we live in an instant fulfillment society today. You get online and you go to, uh, go to a website like an Amazon and you, know, and you click on something that you want to buy. And as soon as you've clicked the purchase button, it's like, okay, is it here yet? Is it going to be here tomorrow? When am I going to get it? And that's why companies like Amazon are, you know, have been playing with the whole thing of using drones to deliver product because we do live in an instant, uh, an instant fulfillment society. And so it's really, really important for us to understand what, what delivery means to our customers and what's acceptable and what's not acceptable. And let me give you a, a real, real quick example of that. Uh, several years ago, I was consulting for, uh, for a company and uh, they had brought me in to work on a delivery problem. They were manufacturing a medical product and uh, it, was a, it was a specialty product, it was a make-to-order uh, product. And a make-to-order product simply means that, um, you know, it's not like going to the grocery store and buying something off the shelf. Make-to-order means I call in, I place an order with customer service, customer service plugs it into the production system, and then the production system carries it through until the product is made and finally shipped to you. Well, this particular company was quoting four to six week delivery on this particular product and they were actually delivering in 10 to 12 weeks. And so they had a bunch of very, very unhappy customers because the customer was being told you're gonna get your product in a month and it was coming out more like two and a half months later and they were not thrilled about that at all. So I was able to go in and in pretty short order figure out why the product was not being delivered the way it was supposed to be and get them on the road to, to fixing that problem. But the key of the story that I want to tell you about is one day I was having lunch with the uh, president of the company, and just out of the you know just out of curiosity, uh, I asked him. I said, "So, in this particular marketplace, who's your competitor?" And when he told me, I almost fell out of my chair. And uh, I looked at him, and he said, "What's the what's the problem?" And I said, "You're using the wrong business model." I said, "You have a make-to-order business here." So I place an order. It gets plugged into the production system, and if everything goes according to plan, four to six weeks later, I get my product. I said, your competitor is a make-to-stock company. Their parent company is in Japan, and so the company here is a sales company. They don't have any manufacturing at all, so what they have is on the shelf. So I said, literally, I could pick up my cell phone, call them right now, give them a credit card number, and I could have a product tomorrow. I said, now, I realize that you have features in your product that this other company does not have. And so as a result of that, your customers are willing to wait a little while 
for the extra features that you offer. But the bottom line is, is you got to change your business model. And what we wound up doing over the next several months is we changed them from a make-to-order company to a hybrid company where some of the products that they made were specialty make-to-order products, but they also had a number of items that were on the shelf so that customers could literally get them overnight if, the, if they were needed. And so the delivery becomes very, very important. And so when you combine quality, cost, and delivery, so you have a cost that conform, a product that conforms to the requirements of your customer, you're doing it at a reasonable price that the customer is willing to pay and that will allow you to make a profit, and you're delivering it in the time frame that the customer needs, then you can create demand and sales. And that's really the front end of your business. We're going to take another quick break here. And when we come back, we're going to talk about the back end of your business and how that influences customer service. So we'll be right back with more on The Gary Smith Show. One of the indicators that Christmas is coming is the nostalgic music that's played in homes and in shopping centers. But this weekend, Alistair Begg will take us back to a powerful song that surpasses them all, a song written by Jesus' mother. Listen this weekend to Truth For Life with Alistair Begg. Sunday morning at 8.30 here on Life Changing Radio, 1550 AM WSDK. This is Life Issues with Brad Mattis, Executive Director of Life Issues Institute. The NAACP has gotten the deserved reputation for being the National Association for the Abortion of Colored People. A black pro-life leader was sued by them for this parody. The group's supposed to be for the advancement of all African Americans. But after the midterm election, the group totally ignored these black candidates who won their hard-fought races. Mia Love to the House in Utah, the first black woman from her party elected to Congress. Tim Scott, the first black to win a statewide race in the South since Reconstruction. And Texas House candidate Will Hurd. Why did the NAACP ignore their victories? They're all pro-life Republicans. It's true. It really is the National Association for the Abortion of Colored People. Check out Life Issues on Facebook and stay more informed than you've ever been. Mild air moving northeastward into the Connecticut Valley brings an increase in cloudiness this afternoon, 40, quite breezy. Maybe a shower tonight, low 30s, and then a seasonable day finally for tomorrow with a few sunny periods, 50. Turning wet tomorrow night into Monday, some showers around Monday, breezy, but quite mild, low to mid-60s. Randy Berkson with a WSDK weather update. Hi, I'm Pastor Jack from Oasis of Life Church in Rocky Hill. Thanks for listening to 1550 AM. WSDK Life-Changing Radio. Okay, welcome back to the final segment here of the Gary Smith Show today where we're talking about customer service and we've been talking about the customer conundrum and things like what is a business, what's the goal of your business, And in the last segment, we wrapped up uh, by talking about quality, cost, and delivery. Now we want to take a quick look at the back end of your business, what I call the back room of your business, because this is one of the things, these are the areas that typically uh, business people don't focus on very much uh, because their attitude is is that, well, if I deliver a quality product cost-effectively and deliver it on time, that's all that should affect my customer. But that's really, really not true. And there are uh, four four things, actually five things that I want to touch on as we kind of wind down our time together today. The first thing in the back room is systems and processes. 
Uh, whether they're formal or informal, written or unwritten, every business has a set of systems that they that they use. And it could be uh, things like your accounting system, your customer service system, your sales and order entry system. Um, and then kind of the next level down from systems are processes. And the processes uh, would be if you have a sales and order entry system, the process might be uh, what are the details for how an order is entered? What is the procedure that we use to modify orders once they get into the system? How are those orders then plugged in and transferred to the manufacturing operation? Things like that. And one of the things that I try to encourage people to do is when you're writing your systems and processes, you're writing your procedures and things like that, always look at it from the standpoint of what is the impact, if any, on my customer going to be? Because you would be amazed at the times that people go in and they do things and they and they like in an accounts payable system where they want to get money more uh, money into the system uh, more quickly and so they say well we're going to go you know from uh, you know from a 45 day uh, accounts payable to 30 days and all of a sudden that gets foisted on the customer those sorts of things we have to always be constantly assessing uh, the impact of the decisions that we make about how we run our businesses on our customers and and really be willing to dig deep and look at those things and make sure that we're being sensitive to any impact on our customers at all this the second thing that we need to think about is paradigms and I know paradigms it's not 20 cents by the way uh, but paradigms is an overused word but it just basically means a paradigm is what is uh, my current view, a kind of a snapshot view of how, my see, how I see my business and how I see my world today? And paradigms are not things that are static. They don't stay the same. They're constantly, constantly changing. And so I think as business owners that we have an obligation to be on the constant lookout for paradigm shifts within our businesses and also within the businesses of our customers. Uh, because if you have a customer who represents a significant amount, uh, a significant percentage of your overall business, what happens if uh, a competitor comes along and there is a fundamental technological change that uh, takes that customer out of the picture? That's going to impact your business. So being able to see those things coming down the road, and, and again, it gets to building relationships and working with your, working with your customers, that becomes critically important. Uh, and let me give you a classic example of that. Back in 1970, uh, if I had asked you who was the premier uh, watchmaker in the world, what country, uh, you, would have, uh, you would have probably responded with the Swiss because the Swiss were the premier watchmakers in the world at that time. They owned the lion's share of the, uh, of the watchmaking industry. Fast forward to 1990. That picture had changed, and the Japanese were in control of the watchmaking uh, industry in the world. And that cost thousands and thousands of jobs in Switzerland because, uh, because the Japanese had taken over. And what happened was is that there was a fundamental paradigm shift that occurred because the Swiss were into making mechanical watches. The Japanese were into making electronic watches, electronic movements. And there was a fundamental shift there from, uh, away from the mechanical watch to the electronic watch that allowed the Japanese to take over the world watch market. Now, the interesting part of that was, and the real fascinating part of that story is, that uh, the, uh, the Swiss actually invented the electronic watch movement. 
but they didn't think it was going to go anywhere. The Japanese picked up on it, and the rest, as they say, is history. The third area is technology. Technology is so critical uh, in how you employ technology. Now, and, and it's not just a matter of the computer systems and things that you use, but I'm talking about like in retail businesses. What do your point of sale systems look like? Uh, you know, are they seamless uh, for customers to be able to get in and check out and, and get on their way? Uh, are your websites designed so that uh, they're easy for customers to interact with and get the information that they need and place the orders and things like that that they need, you know, that they want to be able to do? Can they do that seamlessly, securely, find everything that they want? And I could tell you hundreds of stories, literally, of technology situations where technology has not been appropriately applied you know, and companies lose business hand over fist because of customers not, being, not doing the things that they need to do. Well, so we've talked about quality and cost and delivery. Uh, we've talked about systems and processes and paradigms and technologies. The final thing we need to talk about is how do all these things happen? Who produces a quality product? Who produces it cost effectively? Who takes care of, of delivery? Who's responsible for systems and processes and paradigms and technologies? It's people. And so people are very, very, a very vital and part and an important part of your business. And my, my point in closing today is if you get nothing else other than this out of what we've talked about today, realize that people are the critical factor and that if you are interested in creating a very, very customer-centric business, creating a customer-centric business starts with becoming a people-centric business. If you are not taking care of your people and encouraging them and giving them the tools that they need to have to work on the stuff that they need to work on, and if you're not treating them in a way where they feel valuable and where they feel engaged with your business, then you have absolutely no right to expect them to take care of your customers. And bottom line is, is ultimately they won't. So take care of your people. Get them engaged in your business. Listen to their ideas. Let them help you run the business. And the more valued they feel, the more participation they get in the business, the better things are going to be for your company, the happier your customers are going to be. And ultimately, you're going to be able to meet the goal of your business, which is through providing excellent customer service and good quality products at a reasonable price, you'll be able to make more and more money. That's the bottom line. So that brings us to a, the end of another Gary Smith show. We really, really appreciate you guys coming and joining us today. And uh, we're actually going to be taking a break next week. There will be a rebroadcast of one of our shows. We're going to take the uh, the Thanksgiving holiday off and uh, just uh, be able to be uh, be with our families and uh, and enjoy them. Thanks very much uh, to Zach Hutchinson for being in studio with me today. It's great to have him as my producer. Uh, have a blessed week. Enjoy Thanksgiving. Truly be thankful to God for all of the amazing blessings that he's given you. We love you guys. We look forward to seeing you in a couple of weeks. Until then, live your life on purpose. Thank you for joining us this morning. Please mark your calendars and be sure to join us next Saturday at 11 a.m. for another edition of The Gary Smith Show. And remember, there are a number of resources available to assist you at Gary's website, optex.com. 
Until next week, may God richly bless you.